Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the PA Path Podcast. Before we get started, we would like to extend a special thank you to the Southern Illinois University Medicine Online Doctor of Medical Science degree, now enrolling for 2024. Today, we have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Tiffany Maxwell, who is the Department Chair and Program Director for the University of Maryland Eastern Shores PA Program. Dr. Maxwell has been a board-certified PA, specializing in military and family medicine for over 18 years. She is a subject matter expert in academic accreditation and program development, and she built her current program from the ground up, earning program accreditation. She also serves on the Accreditation Public Safety and Health Committees for the University of Maryland Eastern Shores. As always, you may learn more about our guests and their programs on our website at papathpodcast.com. So Tiffany, welcome. We're just excited to have you join us and we'd love to learn about your path to become a PA before we start learning about your amazing program. So what led you to this profession in the first place? Well, I think my path was kind of traditional. I think I was at that transition phase of PA education. So right before I got in, PAs were mainly firefighters, EMT, Army corpsmen, and now most students come directly out of college. So I think I was on that transitional point. So when I started, I was one of the students that came directly out of school, which was very unusual. So my average classmate was probably about 35 years old and had 10 tons of experience. And here I was as just a student coming out of undergrad. So my path was also traditional because back then no one really heard of a PA. So Marnes was more of someone in passing say, hey, have you heard of PA? And I'm like, no, I haven't heard of that. And then it led me to digging, doing some research, finding out where the programs are and just applying. I had up to that point, I had never seen a PA. I've never heard of one. So it was, I was learning about the profession as I was applying. And then I entered into the Sophie Davis Biomedical School um, PA program, which is in um, New York City. And then from there, um, I got a chance to just meet a lot of, a lot of amazing people, a lot of amazing professors. And then I actually learned what the profession was about. So I kind of did everything in real time. And my path to PA education, that's so that's where I started. And then once I started, I did see the change. I did have the foresight to see that the the education or the training of PAs were going to change because back then it was a bachelorette degree. So back then I just rolled into master's and then rolled into a doctorate because I did not know where the career was going to go. Because as I said, I think I was really at a transition point for PA education. So that's how I got started into PA education. It was kind of a, let me try and see. So, Yeah, I think that that is an unusual story in terms of just you know, learning as you went. And clearly your academic background led that institution to say, you know, yeah, you know how it is now that you're on the other side of admissions where we're like, what do they know about the profession? Are they sure what they're getting into? That program had to have seen something in you that really said to them, look, you know, even if she's not as familiar as what maybe some students are or we expect she's got something she's that diamond in the rough that we want to bring on is that maybe possible it is and i remember sitting there and when they was asking me why i wanted to be a pa and i couldn't even take the possession off the ass at that time because I <laughs> <didn't> <laughs> <hurt>. <laughs> 
Um, I remember the board members or the faculty just sitting there with their arm underneath their chin and they were just like, you look really good on paper, but we don't know if the experience, how young and have you ever done anything in medicine? And I'm like, mm -hmm. and so, the, but this was the transition into it. And I remember my program director, shout out to Adrian Llewellyn. So he said, I think she's actually going to do fine. And here I am. And then he said, uh, she has grit. She's well-rounded. And he said, kind of, I think he kind of understood this was going to be the way. So he wasn't afraid to take a chance, as you say, and it all worked out. And it was funny years later when I, my classmates, um, I was like, look, I'm a program director and, you know, on the list. And they were like, wow, like, you know, coming in, most of my classmates were foreign medical doctors and corpsmen. So it was really a different dynamic. So it was really at that transitional point of PA education, but I think- yeah. And so tell us a little bit about your clinical career, because you spent a lot of time doing military medicine. Where was that? What stations were you at? Things of that nature. Well, I'm not in the military, so I happened to marry a Marine a Marine while I was in PA school. So that was another thing I did that was probably untraditional. I got married in PA school on my emergency medicine rotation. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so at that time... Um, when I um, married him, we moved to the Virginia area. So, and then he was like, oh, we're getting deployed to Japan. And I was like, we are. And so the first job I actually took uh, was local Gerald family care with the inner city family practice. And then we moved to Japan. So then I started working at the Naval um, Okinawa Naval Station Hospital there. At the time, they didn't allow really spouses, didn't really have all of the paperwork it took. So most of the time there, I wind up volunteering as a PA there. So with full rights and privileges. So I became um, a family medicine in a PA um, arena. And so I started seeing service members and their children. And I actually absolutely loved it. And then when we returned to the States, um, I was selected to work in a Pentagon. So I worked in a Pentagon for probably five years um, as a deployment health specialist within a De Lorenzo TRICARE health clinic. And I founded the women's clinic there because women had a lot of deployment issues. It was just like women had to run around and being the only woman in a clinic, I was like, why do they have to do like 28 appointments and the guys have one appointment? And they were like, yeah. you fix it. God. So uh, I did. Uh, me and an army uh, colonel nurse, and we kind of just made it more, um, I guess, equitable for women just to come and get everything done and then leave together. So that way they didn't have to come back because for men, that wasn't the same. They had one appointment, but for women, for women's health issues, they always had to come back, make another appointment. So just being able to streamline there. So that's kind of my path uh, into that segment. And then from there, I volunteered at Deployment Health um, events where they had the, I guess, reservists, they would come in. So then I would do that on a weekend as far as, or per diem, I would fly out to the area that if they needed help, they would put out a call and I would attend and kind of help them get in and out for deployment. And then after um, that, I joined education and then I still love medicine. So uh, my last assignment was at the Geospatial Intelligence Agency in Springfield, Virginia where I also did deployment health, but just on the other side of, I guess, the hot side. <laughs> yeah. So, so you, what a great opportunity for you, because I remember when I was deployed in the Gulf War, this would have been 1990, 1991, you know, clearly men were in charge 
in every leadership capacity across all the branches of government. And of course, back then you had General Colin Powell, General Schwarzkopf, and, and there was clearly not a consideration for the unique needs of women in theater, yet we had plenty of women in theater um, serving. At that point, women couldn't serve in combat roles, but they were serving as military police officers or serving on the flight line or serving in the healthcare system. Um, so what a great opportunity for you to be part of the solution to make it more equitable. Yes, I was I was very happy to be able to do it. And it's just like um in college my sorority sisters were military members and, you know, family members I met across the way. Even, you know, my husband was active duty, but I made so many friendships of women that were active duty also. And everyone, as you know, if you're in a military family, everyone sees everyone somewhere at one time. So it was just happy enough to be able to serve and to make a difference. I think the clinic was grateful and so were the service women. They were grateful for it as well. Yeah. Since you mentioned that, Tiffany, I, I, you just brought up another thought, which is we talk sometimes about rural health and how being a PA in a rural community puts you in that position where you're at the grocery store and patients are right there with you. It's a, a much smaller community. You're right. The military family community is like that. So that had to be an interesting challenge for you as a PA when you're caring for service members and their loved ones and then seeing them in a different role as a military spouse. It is. And a lot of times, um, even when we were stationed in Okinawa, Japan, it would be the women I would see would be at the supermarket with me, childcare centers. I would see them in the bank. So we were really a part of the community. And sometimes they would tell me their needs like, hey, would you know where I can get this at? Or if they had special concerns about women's health or anything like that. And I also, if they had like um, events, they would ask me to come and speak to events about young women events, any events surrounding women's health. And I was happy to be a part of it because you're a part of a community. So when someone calls you, you come. Tiffany, I always like to hear from people about what their hook into education was. You know, what was what was the thing that sort of snagged you and pulled you into the education sphere? Can you tell us a little bit about that experience and uh, and how you how you landed in the education realm? So I knew I always wanted to do education because that's why I went fully through to get my doctorate at a, at a time no one had heard of it. So most of the time when I started my doctorate, I was again one of the youngest in my class on non-traditional. And so actually someone reached out to me and said, hey, I know of a program that was looking for someone to join. And literally someone called and was like, hey, what's your level of interest? And I said, well, this is my level of interest. I've always wanted to do it, but it was just waiting for the opportunity. So I was provided with mentors and I just kind of went full throttle. I just said, okay, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. So I made the transition and here I am. As they say, the rest is history. So I'd like to hear a little bit about, you know, as Kevin said in the introduction, you had the opportunity, like I did, and like Kevin is doing now, you had the opportunity to really build a program from the ground up. And that is such an incredible privilege. And so... I'm curious to hear your input on, you know, truly what that was like for you to really to kind of start at the beginning and say, what do, what do I, I and my team want this program to look like? And, and some of the things that you thought about and the context that you uh, considered as you built this program. 
Well, one thing, because it's a rural place, so the Eastern Shore, it's located on the Eastern Shore of Maryland, which is a very rural area. So one thing I had to, and I'm from New York City, so contrast and the accent. <laughs> so one thing I had to realize is that community matters. And I had to really get the buy-in of the community, which I did not anticipate that being such a big deal. But that was such a big deal because it's rural medicine. So really going out to the local hospitals and even before we thought of the program and I looked, I was like, we're never going to get this off the ground if we don't have buy-in from the community. So reaching out to the local PAs, asking them about how they feel about having a program. Most of them were excited to have a program that had gained momentum back into the community. So really reaching out, um, as soon as I got there, the first thing I did was meet with local PAs. I really didn't do any administrative stuff because I knew I would need their support to sustain the program. So also meeting with external stakeholders like hospitals, there are no med schools where we are. So the PA profession is probably the top provider at that time. So really just trying to get with the hospitals and see what they needed, what they wanted, uh, what they were interested in. So lots of buying and then really try to get local PAs to be a part of the program. So, you know, recruiting and advertising to the local community because they knew it was only going to be as sustainable as the community was willing to put in. Let's take a quick break. Hey, PAs, ready to move forward in your career? Enroll in an online Doctor of Medical Science degree with Southern Illinois University Medicine. In one year, they can help you build confidence, refine your clinical or educational skills, and help you become a better advocate and leader. Best yet, you can earn 37 Category 1 CME credits for your coursework without leaving your job or family behind. To learn more and to apply, visit siumed.edu forward slash DMSC. What about as you design the curriculum? What what sorts of things were you thinking about, you know, with a with your your history and education, kind of knowing what you knew from experiences that you had before and then having the opportunity to say, okay, we get to build something new. How did you how did you think about building a curriculum and what do you feel like you you incorporated in that is maybe a little bit unique or forward thinking? Well, I looked at the population where, where we're going to serve. So we are historically black college and university. So most of our students are first generation. Most of our students are, I guess they sometimes can be non-traditional PA students. And I already know the the things and um some of the, the, I guess I could say some of the disparities that sometimes minority students do face and some of the challenges. So I wanted to build a curriculum sensitive to that. So we are a 28 month program and we have a slow climb with a heavy emphasis on basic science. So that way some programs like shoot all the way up. But our program, I knew if we wanted to attract students, that was our mission at the time. And then mission was representative um, students from what PA classifies as under um, represented students. So I knew if I was going to cater to that population, I would have to build a sustainable curriculum that they will be able to do and be able to support the institution as well as the students. So we have a slow climb. We still have hands-on anatomy. So there still is a full dissection. We start, like I said, we go through anatomy of physiology. We go through three semesters. We go through three semesters of ClinMed. So we really, and we vertically and horizontally align the program. And then we built in clinical problem solving courses to put everything together each semester. 
so that they have an opportunity to build the ClinMed, the pharmacology. So I really did expand the curriculum. We have longer ClinMed lessons, longer pharmacology, there are standalone classes, and we built so that it's, you know, kind of a snare step that it builds on each other. And we really lengthened the program to give them a slow ascending climb versus that typical uh, one timing you miss. And we were able to retain a majority of our students by doing that. that that's great. So you have a retention mindset. To, it, it sounds like when you built the program, you you purposely had the length of it to be around consideration retention. And then also that that scaffolding that you do is very purposeful. You know, I, I have colleagues who talk about sometimes the shorter programs, it's like drinking from a fire hydrant. But it sounds like your program is purposeful in the sense of, uh, as you said, building that scaffold very slowly so that there's a way for them to build upon the knowledge that they get as a foundation. And it has resulted in good outcomes, it sounds like. Yes, it has. So it's still a very vigorous program, but we just focus more at if we can strengthen that science foundation, then when they get to the medicine courses, it's not, it's still, you know, PA education is still a fire hose, but at least you don't have holes in your cup at least. Because <laughs> uh, it's still like, you know, I'll say it is like a fire, we're going to turn it on a fire hose and with a cup, but at least we try to minimize the holes in a cup. So at least you can catch what you catch in your cup. So that's where we, um, that's what we try to do with the curriculum. And it's proven to be pretty successful. So that's what I was excited about. And the other part is the, the rotations. Um, our students really have no competition because there were no med students there. So there were the top providers as far as being able to um, do things and they see rural things. So most of the time when they get there, it's really hands-on because yeah. it's usually the one doc in the office like, hey, grab something, help us. They're really engaged and they really value the students' help. So they really incorporate the students. So our students don't do a lot of standing around watching. When they come back, they're exhausted. And, you know, that's a good thing for us. Like they're absolutely exhausted from all of the work and things that they do because they are really used in the in a clinical setting. So that's a plus for our students being in a rural community. Yeah, I think I think if you look at the data nationally, most of the students are coming from urban or suburban areas. And so when you when you want them to go do a rural rotation, there's a lot of pushback. But you're, but the truth is, one, if you recruit from rural areas, there's a passion to go serve rural communities, as it sounds like you do. But also, for the students who aren't from rural areas, in my experience, I, I trained at a suburban institution, but my rural rotation, I got to do the most. I got to see the most. Uh, you know, the doc said day one, go in and see the patient in room one without any orientation. So I think to your point, you know, that's some of the best learning opportunities available. Yeah, they do get it. And they are excited about what they get a chance to do. So definitely do our callbacks. We kind of prep them. We have um, lecture preps, like here are the most common things you should see. Here's where you need to pay attention to. So they really get great opportunities. And most of them are very thrilled about their experience working on the shore and rural. So they get a chance to see a lot of comorbidities, a lot of things that you don't see in other communities. They get a chance to see hardcore medicine. And especially in, when they're inpatient, they really get to see hardcore medicine, especially on the shore with the opioid epidemic. Most of them have experience, have given Narcan, have been in the fight. So I just remember one of our professors that were walking through the door, we was on the phone talking about 
just the next day. He was like, oh, I had someone pass out. I have to give Narcan. He just literally got to work. So that community wow. essentially is really ravaged by the opioid uh, crisis. So that's another thing they get to see. And so they get to see it firsthand of what it looks like. So what people see on the news, they get a chance to experience. And that was true for even in COVID. Um, they were seeing the people coming in barely breathe. So they got a chance to see a lot uh, in that community. Yeah. Yeah. One of your program goals focuses on cultivating an admissions process that's holistic in nature. So can you talk to us about what that means to your school and what are you really looking for in your applicants as you consider that match to the mission? Well, one thing I say our process is holistic because if you looked on my website, none of my faculty look the same. So when we sit at the table, it is a total different perspective. And so when we're looking holistically, it's really kind of checking ourselves. So as far as the process, how we interview, how we screen, and all of us bring something different and something new to the table. And that was always very helpful. So when we look for applicants, our first goal is we look for students that are local because we want local people in a community. The shore is they have a healthcare shortage area and a medically underserved area. So we give um, preference for students or uh, for students in that area. We also look for the different minority makeup there. As you know, that's where the Eastern Shore is where a lot of the chicken plants are at, a lot of the service workers are at. So we have big Haitian population. We have big the migrant farmer population. So we really encourage students of different nationalities, backgrounds, and that speak those languages to help support the community. Because usually around migrant farmer time at one clinic, you know, they just roll up with the bus, offload, and students, or we send students to that site, and they're uh, instrumental in helping different populations that are there. So when we look at our admissions process, we need to make sure we're including and fostering places where all students will thrive. So when you think about the applicant to your program, what what can a, an applicant do to set themselves apart, to, to make themselves attractive to your program? Um, I tell the students too, we give away all our secrets. Um, so um, pretty much I tell them attend because we have information sessions and our um, administrative admissions coordinator, she does really good. She does in-person ones and she does online. So I say, if you really want to take a look into the program, please come for information session. We give you all the information that you need. Also, we also have a tailored customer service approach. We talk to the students that call. If we see a student is lagging behind, we are very intentional. So we tell students, call us with your questions. Don't wait to the end. We're not an institution that says, hey, look on the website. We actually talk to the students. Most of our students are first generation. There's no one that understands this process. Most of them are out there on the island and we understand that. So we um, tailor our conversations with them. We schedule meetings like, how can I help you be successful? Like, what is it that you're unsure of? How can we help you? So we are really student-centered where we support our students from the very beginning. So as soon as they call in, we assist, how can we help you? So when you speak with your graduates, you know, at the at the tail end of their of their experience with your program, and maybe when you've talked with some of your alumni, what what do you hear from them? What do they reflect upon that says, this was what made my experience really valuable or really different, or this is what prepared me in a unique way to practice clinically? A lot of them are really surprised by the resources. They have been, they're shocked when they go in and they speak to other um, students at different programs. 
they said, we really got a lot of resources and we really had a lot of support. And they really do appreciate the one-on-one with the, uh, we're a small program, so they get a lot of one-on-one time. And when they meet other students, or sometimes when they're in the urban environments, they realize that the students did not have the same experience as the 101 have access to your professors, the 101 access to your preceptor, and all of the resources that the program pulls for the student to help them be successful. So a lot of them appreciated the resources and they feel really confident about going out because they really had that time to ask like, hey, I had this question and I and then someone stopped and took the time to answer it. So they really do appreciate that. And they realize when they speak to all their peers, it's not always the same. So they are, they are very appreciative of that. So it sounds like you have a, a program, a philosophy, if you will, of a lot of high touch in terms of checking in on them, mentorship, advisement, uh, high levels of support, which seem to be helping you to your great outcomes so far. Yes, so far, so good. So I think that's our secret sauce as far as helping students. We intervene early and, you know, like some students don't understand like, oh, why are they always, you know, asking, are we okay? Are they giving us extra work? But once they graduate, they say, ha ha, we see. So it's nice now that some of them have graduated. Now they understand the method to the madness what we were doing, what we were trying to um, accomplish now that everyone has successfully passed, you know, everyone, you know, passed their boards. So everyone is now, now they understand now that they're on the other side of it. We always tell them, trust the process, just trust the process. Yes. that And that's hard to do. And, you know, and I, well, I'm glad you say it too, because that's where it's just like every, that's the openness statement. I need you to trust the process. <laughs> At yeah. We, we always talked about, uh, let us drive the bus. We'll get you to where you need to be. But you know, sometimes I get a little nervous how close that bus gets to the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Tiffany, we always like to give our guests the last word. And so if there's anything we didn't get a chance to cover with you or any parting words of wisdom you'd like to provide before we close, we would certainly give you the opportunity. Well, I would like to say the PA profession has been a blessing to me and to my communities and surroundings. And I hope that the students that embark on this journey they have the same experience and they are able to have that sense of personal fulfillment and sense of purpose for their community. Excellent. Thank you. Well, we want to thank our guest, Dr. Tiffany Maxwell, for her time and insights into the profession and for sharing the story of her program. We also want to thank her for her clinical service to both military and civilian communities and for her service to our country. We want to extend a special thank you to Southern Illinois University Medicine's online doctor of medical science degree for the support of this podcast. Please visit siumed.edu forward slash DMSC to learn more and apply. Tune in next time as we continue the conversations with our PA colleagues and leaders around the world.